the ecosystem of education city needed that uh, part for it to actually function well. So Hamad bin Khalifa is established as a, an entity that would feed um, actually all of the branch campuses. Or the Candid Guitar, a podcast that focuses on interesting conversations with inspirational people around Qatar. Assalamu alaikum, good afternoon, and welcome to another episode of Candid Qatar. Up to this point in our podcast, we have talked about various things such as entrepreneurship, essential motivational skills, and personal development in many fields by our inspiring guests. Today, we are hosting an episode with Dr. Amal Muhammad Al-Malki, who is the founding dean of the College of Humanities and Social Sciences at Hamid bin Khalifa University in 2016. She was also a professor at Carnegie Mellon University in Qatar from 2005 to 2016. She's a Qatari mother, feminist, humanitarian, professor, an author, and lastly, a dean. Uh, welcome, Dr. Amal, and thank you so much for tuning in. How are you today? Hello. Alhamdulillah. I'm very happy to be with you today. Thank you so much. Can you give us a short background about yourself? One of the toughest questions actually is, is give me a short background about yourself. <laughs> I would say that um, uh, my self-representation differs according to the context, of course. Um, and uh, I find myself sometimes focusing on some aspects of myself that I don't focus on regularly, but I've learned through the years that um, those different aspects make who I am. So if I give you, for example, a quick 30, uh, 360 overview of who I am, I would say I'm a woman who chose to be a wife and a mother. Um, I'm a woman who chose academia to be the medium for her professional goals, to achieve her professional goals. Um, and um, many other things, for example, a digital activist, a reader, a sea lover. So all of those things make who I am. But professionally, I'm a professor of comparative literature and post-colonialism. I've taught in Carnegie Mellon, as you said. I was a professor before be being a dean. So I've uh, taught in Carnegie Mellon, Qatar. Um, from 2005 to 2016. I was then the first Qatari faculty in Education City. I've established the Translation Interpreting Institute in 2012 uh, for Hamad bin Khalifa University. And then I was appointed as a founding dean for the College of Humanities and Social Sciences in 2016. And you know, that's becoming the first Qatari dean. Yes, that's nice. <laughs> Um, as we said before, you're the founding dean of College of Humanities and Social Sciences at HBKU. Uh, can you tell us more about this? Being a dean is, is um, yet another step in my um, life, uh, whether personal or professional, because they're really intertwined, if you think about it. And I feel that the previous steps um, and phases in my life qualified me and prepared me to, to become a dean. Uh, first by teaching. Um, as I told you, my first career was actually teaching at Carnegie Mellon University and it was, and I loved it. I can't say I had the experience before, but I, I, I developed the passion for teaching while teaching. Uh, and teaching has uh, taught me uh, many things about myself, myself before actually, you know, other learning techniques or pedagogy or anything else. 
Uh, so teaching and then administration through uh, me being uh, the executive director for uh, TII Transition Turkey Institute. So everything builds on each other really. They're building blocks within my life. Um, the college is very unique and it has a very strong foundation in the sense that it has a strong vision and mission, but more importantly, uh, it has uh, the human capital, it has the people who believe in the vision and mission, the people who believe, for example, in, in multiculturalism and multilingualism and, and, uh, and bringing people together uh, and finding middle grounds and um, acceptance um, and love. Um, and this is what really culture uh, and, and language, um, if, if done properly and if perceived properly, because they can also be um, markers of difference. Uh, it's very easy to say it's, it's us against them. We speak Arabic, they speak English, right? And it becomes a, a battle between both languages. We've never seen that before. We've seen it a conversation. So we have a conversation our native self with other languages, with other cultures. And this is a form of acceptance too. So um, that's one of the strong foundations, but also the ambition and creativity. Um, we don't fear um, making mistakes. We actually make mistakes to learn. And the third thing is actually diversity. And you know how the group I IQ is, is stronger than the, the, the individual one. And I would say that I'm very, very happy that we've got females, females across all levels in the college you know from the dean position to other positions we've got female faculty we've got female administrators we've got female uh, professionals um i am still striving to achieve the 50 50. Uh, we are very close to it sometimes we're 50 percent men 50 percent women sometimes we fall a bit um, lower than that but we're there and that's very very important i would say as a dean if i am to pick one thing that i'm mostly um, proud of i would say um, launching the women's studies the only women's studies ma program in, in qatar as a whole uh, it's the women's society and development program which is very important for us to talk about the future and women's participation in the future how do you think being in an important sector such as uh, humanities and social sciences will aid in the development, uh, the global development of scholars and the society around you? Definitely. Um, first of all, the, the creation of knowledge, right? We're not only consumers of knowledge, but we also produce knowledge. We create knowledge. We, uh, and, and uh, you know, the whole, the whole process of, of creating new knowledge and participating in the global knowledge system is, is, needs to be done from our part of the world too. And this happens through, uh, uh, you know, faculty, faculty who are produced as well, right? Because the faculty it is trained to become a faculty. So we've got the human talents and then we train them to become academics and scholars and researchers and scientists. It's very important for us to do that, especially here in Qatar, we're a very small society. If we don't invest in our people, meaning Qataris and non-Qataris, people who are residents of this country, who, whose knowledge and, and skills will be utilized to, to, to further this country, you know, and, 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 and its progress and prosperity. Um, this should be actually our main aim. So education is very important. Humanities and social sciences, I would say, is at the heart of everything we do. Look at the pandemic, for example. Most of the challenges we hear about is really has to do with, with the human and the social. 
Um, so the human interaction, the social interaction is at the heart of everything we do. Uh, there's always the, the, you know, the legal angle, the, the health angle, you know, the scientific angle, but really it is at the heart of everything we do. So thank you, Professor, for all of your comments. And um, so as we were listening to your response to the last question, it really links to the idea of globalization. So my next question for you would be about how um, uh, globalization is an important political and economical movement, which affects our globe both positively and negatively. So I would like to know your view about the concept of globalization. Okay, so there is the globalization that we've learned and what we have taught, okay, thus far. And there's the concept of globalization that will be deconstructed and reconstructed again after the pandemic. What does globalization mean after the pandemic? And if you think about it, it's a very interesting question, actually, because I was thinking about it this morning, saying that what, what are we doing for students? You know, I was thinking, are we equipping students with the right skills that they would need for post-COVID-19 uh, um, era um, when we have seen that everything has gone online right so the virtual world which we used to say alternative world and alternate world world and all that is has become reality and the reality that we used to know is not not a reality anymore so um this has changed everything convictions um styles of life ways of living uh, ways of loving Think about it. Now, if you love your parents or you, you love your grandparents, you won't go close to them, right? This is really shocking. I mean, it, it really shocks your system. So um, globalization post-COVID, what does it mean um, economically? Would it mean that national economies will shrink uh, at the expense of expanding the global economies? Maybe, because this will mean that when you're done with your studies, you would be able if, let's say 50%, 50%, you know, it could be more, but I'm saying like 50% of jobs will be online. So you can actually apply to any job anywhere in the world. Okay, now you're lucky, I'm lucky. We have, uh, we have the education that would enable us to compete on a national level. But what about others who are not as lucky and advantaged as, as us? What would happen to them? So globalization is a, is a scary word for me right now because it's very unclear how this will unfold post-COVID. Um, global culture, well, one of the, the advantages, the silver lining actually of COVID is um, um, the humility and, and the the collective um, empathy, uh, how people empathize with each other and connected with each other, uh, because COVID-19 hit us all. Um, not equally, we can't say equally, definitely, okay, but it's something that has, you know, when you say, you say you're united in Missouri, this is exactly how it is, right? But still, it emphasized, uh, it exposed actually the areas of injustices even within the small societies or the small nations and the big nations. And it's all the same. You, you, you hear about the disadvantage um, uh, because of gender, because of mobility, ability. Um, so, you know, um, uh, because of race. Uh, so again, going back to globalization, it's not as easy. I think there, 
we, we should think about globalization differently now, post COVID-19, and start to theorize it um, all over again. That's very true, Professor. I do agree with you. And uh, surprisingly, though, that I have mentioned to one of my friends about the, the um, about post-COVID, about how like the people who are not very fortunate don't have internet connections, such as in third world countries. So now that you have mentioned it, it really you know links with what I thought about initially. So another question I have is, how do you think that the establishment of Hamad bin Khalifa University would help boost globalization, either post-COVID, as you mentioned it, or, or actually before? Hamad bin Khalifa University is a very unique establishment in several senses. It works very well within um, education city. So um, the ecosystem of education city needed that uh, part for it to actually function well. So Hamad bin Khalifa is established as a, an entity that would feed um, actually all of the branch campuses or the partner universities like the one you belong to would feed into Hamad bin Khalifa. So it's a, it's a continuation of efforts, a continuation, whether it's in uh, education, uh, whether it's in uh, human, human investment too. So most of our students, for example, come from um, partner universities. They apply to our masters um, and we had to be on equal footing and we know we understand that we're working with universities such as Northwestern, Carnegie Mellon, well Cornell and Texas and I don't want to forget you know Georgetown but those universities are world-class universities and they have given you um, the best of both worlds basically you got the education that any anyone would get in the states uh, let's say or other parts of the world but also um, contextualized within the context that you would be able to apply the skills and the knowledge you took. Um, we are a continuation of that. So we build on that. Um, and the I think one of the other you know, the, the other uh, advantage of uh, HBQU uh, or comp competitive advantage or value is the fact that we're very innovative. So our degrees, for example, a very simple example is in humanities and social sciences, um, uh, colleges usually you don't find uh, internships. Internships are associated to uh, degrees that are very practical, that you know need the practical element um, um, to to um, enrich the the experience of a student. Uh, we do have internships, so we understand that um, uh, there is no boundaries uh, at all between disciplines. Uh, all, most of or all of our degrees in Hamad bin Khalifa University are very interdisciplinary and multidisciplinary. Uh, we work, for example, with science and engineering. Uh, if you want to study cybersecurity, you might take it in, you know, in science and engineering, or you might come to digital humanities in my college and, and study it. Um, it also uh, responds, but also anticipates the needs, whether local or, or global. And I've said it. Um, um, somewhere else when they were speaking about, you know, local and global as, as dichotomies, they're no longer dichotomies. You have seen it now. You know, the pandemic is a great example of how both are very interconnected. Um, so we do that. We anticipate the needs. Um, if you see the social progress, for example, one of the main areas of social progress in any country is um, the rights, the freedoms, right? So this is embedded in our programs. We we actually teach accessibility and you know the the freedom and the rights of 
the less um, um, less advantaged um, uh, sectors of our society. We speak about gender equality, uh, human rights, uh, women's rights. Um, so this is all within the rights and freedoms as well. So I would say that, again, without looking at global and local as two dichotomies, Hamad bin Khalifa would be the connection, okay, between what you have uh, studied um, and, and undergraduates and between what the community and the society is expecting uh, of you. Um, you know, and we expect a lot of you, really. You know, we look at the younger generation and we say, you know, wait until they, they graduate and you'll see the change. Thank you so much, uh, Professor. This is very inspiring to listen that there, there is an actually existent institution in Qatar, uh, in the GCC region, basically, that boosts liberal, liberalism in our education educational field. So since Qatar Foundation has established a liberal environment for education in the region, how does humanities and social sciences assure this liberalism, peace and equality for the future? We are an academic institution after all, but it doesn't mean that we only teach or we only do research. If the, our teaching and our research is not translated into practical terms, um, it would be very diff difficult for you to see the connection. So we uh, are eager on translating all of the knowledge that we have and all of the great research really through the efforts of great faculty and great students, but translating it into community projects and tr translating it into policy papers. So what we've do, we, we do many things really on several levels. Uh, we work very closely with the community. And I'm very happy to say like, for example, TII, I would strongly, you know, unconfidently say that we have helped and participated in shaping and enriching um, the creative industry in Qatar, for example. We've added the element uh, to whether museums or the film industry, okay, or the art industry. We've added the aspect of accessibility. So everything we do is, is towards doing it and making it accessible to the deaf, the blind, the people with different profiles. So accessibility is making and access is, is making knowledge and information in different forms accessible to different profiles of people, okay? One of which is the disabled or people with special needs. So this is, this is something that we're very proud of in TII, but also within the college, we're very proud of the conversations that we're having. Okay, we're having serious conversations that um, are relevant to us, to our society, to our youth, to our men and to our women, right? And those conversations are translated into um, efforts we are putting towards working with the policy institutes. So um, for example, we are the only reference, if you think about it right now, to um, women um, and gender studies in Qatar. Okay, so the government would, would approach us, other policy institutes would approach us to make use of our research, our faculty, our students' uh, theses or research papers towards building new policies. So we do it, but we do it um, through different mediums. It's not only through teaching and, and, and and writing and research, definitely not. And this is what makes us both relevant 
and impactful in our society. And again, I, I always say it, if we are not, and if the College of Humanities and Social Sciences is not relevant to the context we're living in and doesn't have an impact, then what's our use, right? We're not gonna teach psychology uh, and, and um, uh, uh, divorced from, you know, we don't teach traditional disciplines. We, need, we teach interdisciplinary um, uh, areas that are relevant to our society. <laughs> I hope I'm making sense. <laughs> And I was just about to say that it really shows the values of Qatar Foundations and how it anticipates to, you know, boost research. So the success that Hamad bin Khalifa University, in addition to all of the Qatar Foundation universities, it really highlighted the importance of community building and researching newer methods of research, basically, just like you mentioned, within the educational fields. So do you project that Qatar will ever reach educational excellence on the global platform? Definitely, we're on the way there, but um, let's not uh, worry about that. You know, um, how do you evaluate impact and how do you talk about success and excellence? If you look at the motos and the, the visions, you know, every vision of every university in the world says something like, you know, excellence in teaching or research and such. Exactly. For me, I think the only measurement um that you could use is is how much of what you do uh is applicable to the society if you change one person the society the, that person will change a family that family will change the community the community will change the society as a whole the society will change the nation and thus so um yes definitely where are we are heading we are on on the map uh, whether it's HBKU or other universities, the Qatar University as well, um, we are um, we have joint um, degrees. We've got joint research projects with the best uh, universities, such as Northwestern, Georgetown, and other universities, and that's very important. But what's more important is: are we relevant? Um, are we different as well? What is our niche? I think one of the things that we're very known for in Qatar is um, we're human-centric. Uh, we care about the, the human and the society and everything we do, like the research projects, the research outcomes are geared towards that. The moment COVID-19 hit, you see all of the, um, the work and the labs and, and I'm not only talking about, you know, of course, the social and, and, and uh, the social aspect uh, whether it's through digital humanities or women's studies or through transla translation in language, we've done everything possible. We've worked with the, uh, with the small and the big community um, and, and mitigating those, you know, the crisis um, in Qatar. Uh, for example, we offered uh, multiple languages, translation to multiple languages for the community. Um, so we kind of uh, localized the, the, the health and the medical messages uh, what we have done is reached out to make sure that, you know, domestic violence, women, uh, you know, those things are taken into consideration as well. Um, we've talked about it. We have webinars on misinformation and COVID-19. We've done that, but we've, what we also did is we created tests for COVID-19. We have worked on the cells. We, we created new knowledge from Qatar. 
uh, that's that's amazing to happen within what six months period but this means that we can respond to any challenge so if we had responded to a global challenge in six months this shows you that we've done it right we we've focused on the right elements that make us excellent whether we are on such you know i don't know i don't want to say list but whether we are on a list or not really <laughs> Thank you so much, uh, Professor, for your response. It's really honoring to know as a Qatari and, of course, for everybody here in Doha that we are a country of opportunity. We are a country that loves to have opportunities and reach the, these excellences. So uh, success is just the tip of an iceberg. You know, there's a lot that goes into getting there. So did you at one point have any moments of doubt or giving up on your personal success? Oh, Jasmine, of course, <laughs> every single minute of the day um, and every day, basically. Um, I'm a perfectionist. I'm a type A personality. Um, I, um, I look at myself and, and, and I think I'm my worst critic, uh, my worst enemy, really. It's, it's sometimes tough. But I'm very aware of my limitation um, as a human, especially that I aspire to do many things. Um, and I ask myself every day, uh, am I, um, what am I doing today? Um, and what, and if I'm doing the, th the right thing or what I'm doing because of my administrative work and, you know, bureaucracy and all that is stopping me really from doing what I really want. So I'm in constant negotiation with myself, um, with parts of myself, let's say. So, for example, um, a part of me enjoys creativity a lot, um, and another part enjoys teaching a lot. Um, but also, I, I enjoy contributing to the to shaping the higher education, and I do that as a dean, you know, by designing and by offering new degrees, by having conversations on a higher level. That that's enriching too. But I also enjoy being an activist. I enjoy. Um, exploring uh, new venues like you know my new podcast um, I enjoy being a um, woman rights advocate um, and those negotiations kind of you know is what keeping me uh, what keeps me going on um, because I do get the doubts every single minute of the day as I told you but I know that because of all of those parts of me I, I feel complete maybe I, I cannot do with a part or or another, They're, they have to all be, you know, and working together, I guess. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, I think um, we all have this, you know, like our passion helps us strive for success. And the passion is something that eases the hardship. And speaking about hardship, what hardship and struggles have you faced being a Qatari ambitious and successful female figure? It's easier, I guess, to speak about struggles that already happened, okay? Because um, it's easier to take stock and reflect. Um, and I can say that um, uh, there were abundance of, of struggles. It wasn't easy at all, um, especially that I belong to a generation that had very limited dreams and limited realities as well. So I was bound by my reality and what my reality had, had to offer. Basically, uh, I struggled with multiple boundaries, um, whether traditional or family expectations or social norms, 
or my own uh, insecurities as well. Um, I would say the biggest struggle was um, with, with, with patriarchal norms within the society, the norms that no one had, um, I can't say no one had, but actually the, 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 I would love to write a book about the history of feminism, for example, in the Gulf and especially in Qatar, because there are many women figures in Qatar that you heard about, but you, no one actually um, draft, you know, documented their lives. But there was always that one woman who uh, did it differently, right? And because of that one woman, something happened. So there was um, uh, the, the first Qatari teacher, for example, who dared to go and teach, right? And there was the first, there, was a, there were pioneers all through, but it's maybe interesting to see how we perceive those. You know, you don't look at those as pioneers because you would you take it for granted you know education is open for all but when it was back then it was very difficult for women to to get an education basically and they were bound by you know uh, social norms and traditions that just you know patriarchal uh, patriarchal uh, traditions that said no just for the sake of no you know this is you know it's not acceptable so the taboos and the shame of course was a part of that patriarchy or the patriarchal structure that I grew up in. Um, honor, of course, um, you know, when sometimes uh, there's no honor in what they perceived as honor. Um, there were norms that were against women, um, culturally against women, not religiously, by the way. Um, we, we, we tend to uh, confuse between what is traditional and what is um, religious. Um, but I've discovered, um, later on that it's all a part of the power relation okay the the societies kept women in the private sphere and to to protect the society somehow there was a fear of of you know opening it up to women anyhow my generation conformed to that yeah of course i'm not going to generalize but you know I've seen uh, how um, women in my generation suffered uh, through early marriages, uh, early divorces. Um, some um, were deprived of education. Um, so there were multiple different types of oppression, basically, uh, and, aggression, and aggression as well. So that was a struggle. Um, now, let me tell you what, what I would, of course, in between there is, you know, how I turned that struggle into something beneficial and, and managed to get where I am. But if I am to look at now and talk, talk about my struggle, it would be very interesting to um, say that it still, it still revolves around my identity. So it's all about identity politics. Um, I've got three intersections in my identity that played a huge role in my um, and, and my struggle and, and becoming who I am. First, gender, uh, the second, nationality, and the third was age. So I was, for example, the first Qatari, um, um, you know, uh, the, the whole phrase of first Qatari to do something sets you as a pioneer. So puts you in a position where you're doing something new, okay? Um, uh, but it's unlike what is set in the society. So it, it sets you apart of what, what of the set, status quo, let's say. 
but also um, you are put in a position where you're breaking barriers, which is amazing for others to emulate. Um, I was the youngest Qatari um, uh, to obtain a PhD in 2003. Um, that was perceived well, but at the same time, the disadvantage of that was I, I was a threat. I was too much of one thing. I was, you know, perceived as high maintenance, a snob, and marry unmarriable. You know, you know, people don't want to marry someone who is, you know, uh, you know that uh, established, I guess. And so. Being young and being woman and being a Qatari played very, um, played both for my advantage and for my disadvantage, I may say. But the intersectional identities, of course, offer me, uh, offered me multiple experiences. And I'm very, very um, and appreciative because those experiences are very difficult to, to obtain if it wasn't, you know, for who I am, I guess. Yeah. Obviously, you're unique uh, figure in this society, and uniqueness is always noticed and kept an eye on. So, um, and also being a feminist female, what is the society's reaction whenever you established yourself or uh, any unique achievement of yours? Um, people um, assume that our society does not um, embrace. Um, uh, new ideologies, let's say, uh, or new movements. And I don't think that's true because I've been raised by um, a father and a mother um, who are very open towards, um, first of all, Europe, right? So they gave us that international outlook, but also all of their friends were very multicultural as well. Um, and they invested in their um, girls, you know, we're all highly educated with PhDs or, you know, master's degrees. So our society is not unified. It's not one. When people say we're conservative, again, define what conservative mean, really. Um, I've always, um, I, I, I've always said that the Qatari society is a diverse society. Um, and education is not new to us. And my father's generation was educated, uh, as well as my mom's, and as well as my brother and sisters. So, uh, and 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 we are paving the way for the younger generation. So, change is inevitable. You know, change will happen. Mm. Now, the namings are, I think, what scares people, because there has been this association with feminism and Westernism, right? Or feminism and modernism. And I don't think, you know, we need to re really disassociate and speak about our context in specific. Um, I'm a proud feminist and I say it because I need to say it so others wouldn't feel scared of saying it. And you know, I've seen women who are, um, young women who are attacked for being feminists, but they're attacked because the society doesn't understand what they mean by feminists. How does, you know, believing in human rights and social justice defy the norms of the society? Of course it doesn't, of course it doesn't. So the society needs to work with us and we need to work with the society. The challenges I face is yes, with some pockets in the society, not the society as a whole. I have to tell you the, 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 the most, um, 
fierce feminists I know in the society are men. You know, and I can tell you it's like a he for she movement in Qatar, but our men are known, and our fathers are known to love their daughters and to invest in their daughters. It's, it's something that is really well known in the Qatari society. And you see it from the, you know, the father Emir to, to the, the other families in Qatar. Education is the only battle that a, a girl wins in Qatar because she cannot, and no father would tell her, of course it happens, Okay, and I, I know I understand that I'm generalizing, but the majority really of fathers in Qatar appreciate and, and push um, their daughters to obtain higher education. They understand that they need to be independent. Um, so, so this is important to describe and say, okay, because we are not working against the society, definitely not. Uh, we're working within the system when we see that there are loopholes in laws, when we see there are loopholes in norms, when we see that um, there are um, disadvantages for being a woman or for, for being um, uh, a divorcee or for being, um, for, you know, the different, different woman experiences that uh, a Qatari uh, and a non-Qatari who lives in Qatar face, then we have to stand up and say, okay, look, we love our society and this and this, we need to fix such and such and such. So it's not really uh, working against the society. So this is number one. Number two is if we are have challenges, um, it's with very small internal pockets within the society who uh, wouldn't, you know, no matter their conviction is a woman is within the um, private sphere. She has nothing to do, okay, with, with decision-making, okay? And we as men decide for her uh, and that's it, you know, they, they are not open for our being, for our existence on their level. So for those, I can't even talk. You can't even talk to, uh, to some people about their convictions. They're set. So let them be. Uh, I hope by time they would see that we're actually striving to, for the better, really, of the whole society. Now, the external communities that we um, sometimes we face challenges and in, in, in working with or in, in having conversations with are, for example, white feminism and, and some of the Western culture that try to take and steal our uh, causes and turn it against us. And this is where it's really tricky because everything is politicized nowadays, right? Like religion is politicized. Everything we say is politicized. But this doesn't mean that we don't say it. Yeah, some people would say, just like the Arab Spring, for example, when it happened, they said, let's get freedom first for men and women and then speak about women's rights. So you cannot say that. And you can't say that it's, there, it's not time for women's rights. It's always the time for women's rights. Okay, women's rights, human rights, interconnected, you cannot. So yes, we, we need to be strong. And I would say, I, I always say I'm a feminist and I'm, I'm vocal and loud because I need to teach the younger generation that there is no uh, shame in being a feminist, on the contrary. I truly respect and appreciate your point of view. Um, and I hope more people in society have similar point of views like you. We talked earlier about motivation. Uh, what's that one thing that uh, motivates you every morning to be all of these, a dean, feminist, author, professor, and a mother? I don't know what 
to tell you, Aya, and I don't want to, um, I need to be real to myself. I, when people say self-motivation, you need to be self-motivated. It's not always easy, right? You have to have a, uh, that, uh, you have to be trained <laughs> to be self-motivated. And you have to have a lot of confidence and support and courage to be self-motivated. So it depends. Um, Right now, I would say two things motivate me the most, uh, and sometimes my daily struggle. Um, my daughters and the younger generation. I, I love I love doing this. I wouldn't say no to, to meeting with students. Um, no matter how busy I am, uh, they know at the college that if a student and I get visits from everywhere, from every partner university, they know I'm there. So I get students visiting me, I get students talking to me, reaching out to me even on social media and I'm very accessible. Uh, I don't, uh, I don't believe, the title does not define me, I define the title. So um, this is what, what keeps me going on right now, that I can and I'm gonna use, I, I am in a position of power that won't last like anything else in, in the world of course. And I have to use it to make my daughter's lives better and your lives better somehow. Yeah. Um, and if you weren't all of these incredible labels, um, what or where do you think you'd be in life right now? I'm, <laughs> I'm not a label. <laughs> uh, I don't believe, and I don't, I remember when I, it's, an, it's a funny story actually, but when I first graduated and when I got my PhD, I was 28. Well, 28 back then was, you know, in 2003, I was like young. So it was very important for me that people would call me Dr. Amal. Um, but I'm totally over it now. Um, I don't believe in titles. I, um, and titles don't um, make who I am. You know, I, I define who I am. Um, I think, I think if I... I would have been most probably a journalist or a writer. I love writing and I've noticed that, yes, I am, you know, I'm an academic writer. I'm an author of women, um, of a of book and multiple uh, journal, uh, you know, um, journal papers. And I write on different topics now, especially on uh, gender equality and women's rights. But if I wasn't that, I think I would have been a journalist. Yeah. So uh, there's more to your story. There's more more to your strive for success that we cannot wrap uh, like wrap complete wrapping up in such a short time. If you could leave us with a few words of encouragement, what would it be? One word. <laughs> Difficult. Let me let me think. Okay, I don't want to spoil the illusion that we have created all of those years. That you know when you're older and more accomplished, then you know better. You know, like a narrator, for example, the omniscient narrator that knows how to, you know, plays with the techniques and, and uses backflashes and foreshadowing because he knows it all, right? Uh, I don't, I definitely don't. It's, um, it's not right to do that. Um, people who do that um, are faking it, basically. I don't know and I can't predict, but I can help you discover your own path and strength. This is what we do, right? As professors, as scholars, as acad academics. Um, so I would say you can find answers within yourselves, right? They, they don't come easily, definitely. 
But this is why it's very important that you listen. You listen to the outside and you listen inside. So you need to listen to yourself too. And you listen outside because you need to situate yourself as well. Uh, you can make a difference. And I'm going to repeat this again. You can make a difference because they never told us that growing up. On the contrary, by the way. All I heard was, you're one person. Until this day, by the way, this is all I hear. You're one person. Um, you, you think you can change the system. You can. You think you can change policies. You, can, you know, this is all I hear. This is one of the biggest challenges I hear every day that really um, is, is targeted towards my, my, my self-motivation as well, right? Um, so no, I tell you, you can make a difference in your community and beyond, okay? But embrace your truth and other people's, uh, accept other people, build your own legacy. We are in, in um, we've grown We've raised, we've been raised in a, um, a tribal society, right? So you've always heard about family legacies in Qatar. Um, it's time for us to build personal legacies in Qatar, okay? Personal legacies that you document and you become strategic in, in narrating and, and, and communicating because people need to know need to know your faults, your failures, the hurdles you've faced before really speaking about your successes. Um, and Islam has always encouraged um, personal legacies. I've, I've been thinking a lot about um, one of uh, the prophets says um, and that when you cease to exist, all you have in this world, no, you're not here, you're dead, right? But you have your good deeds and your reputation. Right? So this is a personal legacy then. And this is what we need to build. We need to build our personal legacies. Yeah, um, thank you so much, Dr. Amal, for tuning in today and contributing to our podcast. I personally um, loved and learned a lot um, from this. And I believe our listeners, listeners have really enjoyed listening to your inspiring words and uh, they will be motivated to go out and make a difference in this world. Um, Stay tuned for our next episode uh, here at Cambridge Guitar and thank you.